0: Connected Fundraising is the internal framework that we've adopted for that community-driven process of how we design generosity experience.
1: Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Tim Sarantonio, Tim is the Director of Corporate Brand at Neon One, and in this episode, he shares his insight into the sector and the new Neon One CRM elements that he is particularly excited about. While Tim has been at Neon One for 10 years, his journey in the sector began as a grant writer. Today, he provides nuggets of wisdom that help make fundraising easier with technology and how to make the fundraiser's job easier with technology, training, support, and community. We are talking all about the myth that tech is a silver bullet to our fundraising woes and how we need to bust this mindset because it traps us in focusing our time and resources on making decisions about tech adoption, but leaves us with no energy to anticipate the implementation of the tech solution itself. And ultimately, that's where the whole tech solution initiative can crash and burn. There's a lot here, but I love that we're kicking off the conversation, stressing that we need to start talking about technology differently as a facilitator and support system with fundraiser enablement at the center of the product. We also talk about Neon One's framework around connected fundraising, what that means, and how that impacts the product priorities and process for continuous growth and improvement. There is so much inside this episode for fundraisers and nonprofit leaders, so let's dive in so you can meet Tim. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Tim Sarantonio. Tim, welcome to What the Fundraising.
0: Well, welcome, and thank you for having me, Mallory. I am a fan. I'm starstruck to be on here, actually. (laughs) like I'm not being sarcastic. I'm really, really jazzed to be here. So thank you for having me.
1: Oh, I'm really excited. And I'm excited for everyone to get to know you a little bit better and Neon One. So why don't we start with you just giving an introduction to yourself? What brings you to our conversation? What brought you to Neon One? And then we'll go from there.
0: Well, I have a little bit of an interesting history personally, but I think what's similar to everybody else is that that's the same for everybody, that Mm -hmm. they all have a weird story of like how they got into fundraising. And so mine was, I thought I was going to be a labor historian. And I did everything that you're supposed to do when you go to academia, which means you put yourself in debt and you write articles that no one ever reads. And so I thought and did everything that I thought I should be doing. I lived in Ireland and got a degree in postcolonial theory. Then I went to Columbia University and got a degree in history and education. Then I moved to Chicago because I thought every single program that I wanted to get a PhD in was in the Midwest. So let's get ready for cornfields, basically. And then I didn't get into any programs. And my dad flew out to Chicago in 2008 and said, you got get a job. I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had an identity crisis and I still want to help people. And I still love that kind of grassroots idea of the workplace being a healthy way that people can create value and build movements and community. So I stumbled into a grant writing position for a day labor center in Chicago. And as I mentioned, it was 2008. So there stopped being grants. So I pivoted to individual fundraising and did that for a few different jobs. I'm obviously giving the very abridged version of this, but after working at a few different organizations, including one of the kind of earliest Blackbaud users. So it got me introduced to tech then and Mm -hmm. the possibilities of what technology can do for fundraisers, but then also introducing a lot of the weird things that certain technology companies structure their ways, specifically around stream. And connections of different stuff. So an opportunity opened up at Neon One. That was 11 years ago. And my position and role and the company has changed significantly. But that core idea of building that larger ecosystem around generosity experiences has always been in the DNA of what we do. And we can get into that more specifically, but that's my story a little bit.
1: I love that. Can we define what you mean by generosity experiences? I love that terminology.
0: So I would say it's taken me 14 years to come up with what exactly that is. It goes beyond kind of the basics of when you hear people talk about donor experience, that's very focused on like their journey into the pipeline. And a generosity experience is actually a little bit more elevated, in my opinion, because generosity can be defined as time, talent, treasure, and trust. And so when you step back and you think, if I'm going to center a person and not their money, which is kind of a core rule that we have at Beyond One in terms of how we design generosity experiences, you got to move from that awareness stage of learning about the nonprofit. As Katrina Van Huss of Turnkey for Good talks about, there's an awareness spectrum. And every single mm-hmm. person in the world could be somebody who gets aware of your nonprofit. But the reality is, is that you got to work them down toward community building. And they're part of the story. And they're part of the ways that they build things. And that's what I define as the generosity experience. It's not the money. It's mm-hmm. the building that affinity and going deeper there. So that there's elements that go into that. But it's kind of that nice hybrid of marketing and fundraising when you get down mm-hmm. to It's is, is kind of that high level, too long, didn't read of it.
1: I love the way that you all think about the experience of the donor, but also of the fundraiser in a much more holistic way. And a lot of that has fallen under this terminology of connected fundraising. Yes. So can you describe that intersection for us? Like, What is connected fundraising and what does it look like from the donor experience, but what does it look like from the fundraiser experience to be fundraising in that way?
0: Connected fundraising is the internal framework that we've adopted for that community-driven process of how we design generosity experiences. And so internally, there's three rules that guide our company. I'm director of corporate brands. So my CEO said to me, your job is to say who we are and why we matter. That's my entire position now. It's not selling stuff. It's partnerships, but that's part of a larger vision of who we are, Right.
1: Like Mm. being able
0: to work with folks like you is part of that story. But ultimately, it comes down Mm. to three rules. First rule, focus on people, not money. I think it's a powerful rule. Because when it comes to fundraisers, tactically, it means, am I making decisions that are focused on extracting money out of somebody's pocket, or am I designing something that mm. is to move it from a situational gift into an identity-based gift with the donor? That's rule number one. Rule number two is focus on the connection of the experience. Is there friction? Mm. Is it easy for somebody to give to you? If you've put a QR code in your appeal for instance, to drive them to a donation Mm. page, is it a general form or is it something that's specific to the appeal that you've sent a direct mail campaign about? Mm. As an example, I use this example. Remember the owl from the Tootsie Pop commercials? Yes. The average donation time for an online donation in our sector is four minutes. And that's for the people who convert. I believe that's classy data. Wow. And so it's definitely not as quick as the e-commerce metrics that are coming out now, which means that those are the people that actually finish the donation. How many don't? Mm -hmm. And we have a leg up on e-commerce when it comes to the tech side because psychologically, people want to give. They'd rather actually Mm -hmm. give than buy crap. And so by focusing on the connection of that experience, the owl part is how many donors kind of get fed up and want to bite into the center of and get to the Tootsie Roll. And if you make it that it's too many licks and they're going to get really annoyed, then they might either just not even finish or they're going to bite it and miss the full experience. So if you can design it where that kind of psychological payoff of the gratitude that they are going to feel from you, that's going to be powerful. And then that leads to rule number three, which is technology, can be an accelerant to that. A lot of tech Mm -hmm. companies put themselves as the role of the hero in the story and tech comes first. And it's like just so many tech implementations that go wrong. Tim Lockheed talks about this extensively in the human stack, where if you don't get the people part right, then the tech doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many shiny objects Mm -hmm. your board throws at you or how many discussions about CRM reconciliation with the finance team if you don't get the people talking to each other about it and get on the same page, none of that matters. And so Mm. that's why it's important for us to put it in its proper context as an accelerant, not the silver bullet. And I think there's too many companies that actually frame it as a silver bullet. And that's part of the problem.
1: There's so many things you said that I want to dig into with you, but What's really interesting to me about that last piece around sort of removing the tech from the center of the story and recognizing it as a complement to the core drivers and needs of both the fundraisers and the organization and the donors, I think is really interesting and probably honestly helps with expectations around implementation because yep. I feel like when folks have that silver bullet mentality around a tech solution, they spend all of their energy in the decision-making or the adoption yep. of the tech, and they don't really anticipate the implementation of that tech at all. And so they aren't allocating time or resources to the sort of onboarding implementation, building in those processes into their system, because they thought, well, if I just get that, it's going to solve all my problems. And so I think that's a really important mindset shift for everyone, because I really believe that's where a lot of the tech implementation fails.
0: We just launched our new Neon One Academy, and we hired people with PhDs in curriculum design and adult learning. We invested a lot of money into this. And the very first thing that somebody's met with is, why do you even care about this? (laughs) That's the first thing for onboarding is before we get into the checklist of you need to provide us this and that. Da da, 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 da da It's really cool because that's extended out into over 100 new courses. And what blew me away was that the way that they designed it, it's in terms of a five step process is starting with that. Why? But then by the end, you can actually do a hands on experience of like I can build out an email audience with the native builder, but I'm doing it in a way that won't mess my system up. So it's a no stress. Like I can mess Mm -hmm. up. And I think that's a big Mm -hmm. thing that we miss a lot is that most of the trainings and discussions and the flashy stuff that we hear about our sector is designed for the 3% of nonprofits that have experimental budget because they're $5 million and above. And then the rest of Mm -hmm. us, 97% making under that, if somebody fails on their CRM implementation, they get fired. There's real world stakes here for like relying on YouTube videos to be the thing that (laughs) gets you using the software. It's not that. So that's why we Mm. did that no fail thing. But then they blew me away even more, Mallory, because of our secure sign-in process, you can load up your actual system in the learning management system and execute immediately what you learned, which blew me away. That's very cool. And then that connects to. The you're searching for things in the CRM and it starts pulling stuff up or the finance team's like, well, I need to reconcile with neon pay. And then that comes up and we have plans for we'll get there. I'm going to get ahead of myself. So please guide me where you want. (laughs) I just get very excited because I use it. I've been using the system since 2012 and raise money on it and help my mother-in-law with her food pantry and do local volunteering. That's important to us to get that feedback and that community driven mm. understanding because otherwise, what are we doing?
1: Yeah. There's another word that you said that I know you and I have gone back and forth on a little bit that I'd be curious to dig into, which is friction or mm-hmm. frictionless and mm-hmm. when friction is important and when a frictionless experience is important. So you talked about the yep. need for a frictionless experience at the decision point, which I totally agree with when once a donor has made a decision to give I think from then on out, we want it to be as frictionless as possible. And that's where tech can really step in. And then I know we're also aligned here around when friction is actually an important component of the dialogue with donors. And recently, one of the things I realized is that we've talked about friction in terms of the storytelling arc or when people are deciding if they're in the right place, if they're with your organization. But another thing I've realized recently is that one way I think we take the frictionless conversation too far is in major donor or large donor conversations. Like when somebody proposes a restricted gift, for example, we try to make it frictionless, which means we don't push back or we don't ask questions or we go from this like, I have an idea to massively rerouting our program and experiencing a lot of mission drift to appease that donor. I'm curious what you think about that and how you've been thinking about that.
0: There's a difference between donor centrism in marketing copy, like changing your email receipt to a donor identity centric thing. Instead of thank you for your gift of X dollars, you say you are a generous person because you gave X dollars. Like a simple copy change in a donor centric way is different than donor primacy. And donor primacy Mm. is organizational movement and changing it because the donor asks that's not appropriate. That's why you have to still go back to rule number one, in my opinion. This is what the power of rule number one is people before money. That's not just for the donor, a budget is a moral document. And what are you prioritizing? When I had my first job, that grant writing job, we had grants where we changed the project focus in order to get the grant. I was like doing video interviews for something that had nothing to do with our work. And that's because Mm. we wrote a grant and it had to do with multimedia stuff. And so they're like, well, we'll get the money. But I'm, Mm. what the heck am I doing here? The chasing of money just for money's sake can lead to these mission drifts. That's the core Is If you lose your why in that, mm. then the what doesn't matter because then you start just prioritizing Amazon Smile discussions then. It's like, what are we doing Oh here?
1: my God, don't even get me I know, we don't have enough time so for that. You
0: know <laughs> don't do it. That's the too long, didn't read. Get it out of it. Get, stop talking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're probably well, going
0: to get more really money amazing. out of Mackenzie Scott than Jeff Bezos with Amazon Smile this point.
1: I totally agree on not all money is created equal and you don't yep. just want money for money's sake, because what is the point of what we There's we're a power
0: dynamic to
1: it. Yeah. So much of that is because of the scarcity mindset that we mm-hmm. feel. And I remember feeling this as an executive director, if I don't get that money, will I meet my operating budget? Or yep. honestly, sometimes I think chasing money or chasing money from a particular foundation because it would get my board off my back then there would be this reputable institution who said we were worthy, and then they would chill out a little bit. I think connected fundraising offers a really important framework, though, on playing the long game. How do you all think about helping your folks avoid that scarcity mindset or when they feel that fear around playing the long game, not just going for that next shiny object? And what role does that play, do you think, in helping fundraisers sort of focus on the right things?
0: So you're asking this question at a really good time because we're gearing up for Generosity Exchange, which is October 19th and 20th. I don't know when this will air. Either way, Mallory will be joining us on the main stage, but I just wrapped our product keynote. And our CEO, also Steve Kreider, was there. So Nolan Martin, our VP of product management, and Steve Kreider both flew in to Chicago mm. to discuss. And I got some behind the scenes understanding. So you're getting a scoop, Mallory. And so mm. the way we think about it is the things that are very important to us from Steve all the way down are enablement and intelligence for fundraisers. I feel that a lot of times when design is Executed for technology companies, there's an underlying sense that they think the fundraiser's dumb and they can't figure it out themselves. They're like, well, well, let's make this as easy as possible. And what happens though is that then something like your CRM, or in my opinion, it's actually better defined as donor management than actual constituent relationship management, because you're really just focusing on optimizing your revenue. Mm. Pipeline as opposed to developing relationships. We've always been a relationship-focused system, so things like marketing, things like events and volunteering are components of how we design this, That hence the generosity experience approach. But just because it's easy doesn't mean it has to lose sophistication. And that's where intelligence comes into play, because in the future state, things like artificial intelligence can help start identifying that middle donor pipeline, for instance, to go, you know, I really Mm. think that this person should be somebody you should think about talking with and let's roll out. So one of the things that we're going to be rolling out is templated plays and workflows, because we started Mm. just giving everybody our workflow automation because it's one of the most powerful things because it's not just an email cadence. It's like literally I can set up a condition that says if this person is a board member and they haven't given yet, set up a call cadence for Mm. the executive director to check in with them on the following things, right? And that's just Mm. one example. What we'll do relating to your other question is we will listen to our community of what to prioritize. We literally have a voting system that is transparent, So any of our clients can log in, submit suggestions, interact directly with our product managers for any of our products and say, I want this thing, or I'm going to search for this thing, or here's all the tags for this thing, concrete example Mm -hmm. that already got implemented. Soft credit acknowledgments. Everybody complains about how donor advice funds are managed in CRMs. Like, go talk to T Clay Buck and you're gonna hear an earful about this, right? <laughs> the reality is, is that mm-hmm. like a simple change that we did that we just released based off of community feedback was just allow a special condition for soft credit acknowledgement as well as matching gift acknowledgement. So you can do something mm-hmm. where the donor advised fund gets their tax automation thing. But then you set up a rule that says it came from this donor, strip Mm. out the language about here is your tax receipt, because that's inaccurate for a donor Mm. advised fund or a family foundation, and then acknowledge the relationship that could be automated Mm. now, which we didn't have before. So things like pledge invoicing, all this type of stuff is going to be critical. But the whole idea is, let's end to end build something for small shops we're about to roll out a whole website tool build an mm. entire website but there's little things built into this platform that have blown me away a first time visitor to your nonprofit's website could be queued up a welcome video that doesn't play when they come back mm. so you know cool. it only comes up if this person's a first time person and you can say hey mallory i'm really glad that you're here and that's just going to be connected. It's part of the portal. It'll have the CRM elements mm. in there. And it needs to be affordable too. Equity is very, very important to our company. Our CEO mm. even says, out of diversity, equity, and inclusion, what's the most important thing? It's equity. Diversity is mm. just representation of different voices. But what are those voices aiming to do? Mm. Well, we can be inclusive in that. That's what the community does, but ultimately it's about equity. And the technology's mm. too expensive. It's Too many people going back and forth, back and forth. So that's why we try to centralize it as much as possible for the small shops.
1: I love that, and I'm so excited to hear about those developments. And uh-huh. really appreciate the way that you guys are listening to fundraisers, in the way that you're thinking about your design and the different elements that you offer. So, thank you so much. I am really excited to be speaking at Generosity Exchange soon, and I'll make sure all the links are below for folks to grab and learn more about Neon One and be able to connect with you on LinkedIn and follow along. So you're always Please. posting really helpful advice as well. So, thank you make so it. much, Tim.
0: Thank you for having having me. This was an absolute pleasure.
1: Okay. There are so many takeaways inside this episode. Here are the top things that I'm walking away from this conversation with. Number one, always look at technology as a tool to make fundraising easier as an enabler, not a silver bullet. Number two, shift your focus from money to people. When you focus on people, you build relationships, making it easier for you to invite them to invest in the organization and the work you are doing together. Number three, in fundraising, you can focus on donor centrism in your communications and marketing. That's about awareness of your audience and speaking directly to them, tailoring a specific message to a specific audience. But you want to avoid donor primacy, which is often what happens when we think about donor-centric fundraising, centering the donor in the work of the organization itself. Number four, a scarcity mindset will always drive you to chase every shiny object you see and make you do things that aren't right for your organization. How can you embrace a generosity mindset that leads you to feelings of more abundance? I love the way Neon One talks about generosity experiences. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Tim and Neon One and Generosity Exchange, Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of The People Behind the Products.